Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. I love mountain climbing. To climb a peak just because it's there, to push beyond the limits of human endurance, to get to one of the places that's the roof of the world, I love mountain climbing. I mean, I don't actually do it, but I love reading about it. (laughs) I love watching movies about it. I love dreaming about it. It's amazing to think about. There is that mountain, and you take it one step at a time until you're all the way toward the summit, and then you're down to just trying to get enough oxygen that you can actually take your next step. I love the fact that it pushes you beyond what you would think humans could endure. I mean, I love reading about that part. Now, it just so happens that several years ago, my colleague here at University Church, Darrell Retzer, joined a group from our church that went on a mission trip to Kenya. Got to Kenya, did their mission trip portion, and then a number of them from the mission trip went on to Tanzania, and there they climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, 19,341 feet tall. Now, as Darrell describes it, The closer and closer they got to the summit, the slower and slower became the climb. He said, there came a point in time when it was like we were taking two or three or four steps and then stopping to gasp for air. And then two, three, four more steps and then stopping to gasp for oxygen. In fact, I suspect that if you climb some of the even taller mountains, If you get into the 20s and the 22s and the 24s, by the time you're at that level, if you don't have an oxygen canister, I suspect you're down to taking maybe one step at a time and gasping for oxygen, another step gasping for more air, pushing you beyond those limits. I love reading about that. It strikes me that today's passage is something like that. I was reading the passage, and I was thinking, wow, this passage calls us to the heights of ethical endeavor. In this passage, Paul, who wrote the passage, sets an incredibly high standard that he calls on us to reach. I thought, this is going to take us beyond the limits of spiritual endurance to be able to achieve these heights. I love those kinds of passages. I love reading them, that is reading those kinds of passages because they call us to something great and grand. And yet I realize that there's a temptation in that kind of passage. And the temptation is to just read it. In fact, this is the kind of passage of which when a preacher preaches a sermon based on this passage and stands at the door and members and listeners and guests are shaking hands with the preacher, they're prone to saying something like this. Pastor, 
that was a sermon. I so much wish my neighbor could have heard that. If my neighbor could have heard that, it would have changed our relationship, changed my life. It's the kind of passage that you read and you think, oh, what a call. And then you say the benediction. You say amen, amen, and amen. And then the next thing is, what are we doing for lunch? Let's get together with friends. And it bounces off of us like water off a duck's back. That's the kind of passage. It has a high call. But the question is, are we listening? We're in a series of sermons entitled simply The Next Step. Our focus in this series is, is given to us by the question that undergirds the series. The question is simply this. What will it take for you to take the next step in your discipleship journey with Jesus? What will need to happen for you to take that next step along the discipleship pathway? Now, we've considered four possible steps, including today. First, step up in worship. Next, step down in Bible study and prayer. Next, step in, step into service. And today we come to step out. Step out in love. Because the fact is, if we step out in love, it's going to force us to leave our safe spaces, our comfort zones, our living rooms, our sanctuary, and actually move out and engage the world, the people, the relationships around us. And that's not easy. At times, we will feel like it's one or two steps and gasping for the oxygen of the Holy Spirit to empower us at a time. Step out in love. In fact, it strikes me that this is somewhat like the story of Mary Martin, the great Broadway star. She was in her dressing room just getting ready to go out and to perform in South Pacific. As she was about to leave, somebody brought her a note, brought her a little note that had been written to her by Oscar Hammerstein, the well-known, the famed producer and writer of such Broadway musicals. And the note was very simple. It said, Dear Mary, it said, Dear Mary, a bell's not a bell till you ring it. A song's not a song till you sing it. Love wasn't put in your heart to stay. Love isn't love till you give it away. That's really what Paul is going to say in our passage for today. Love isn't love till you give it away. So if you take your Bible or your phone or your tablet and turn to Romans 12. Romans 12 is where our passage is found today. Now, while you're turning to Romans 12, I want to just give a word or two of background that will be helpful. First is this. This passage is what the ancients called a paranesis. A paranesis is a passage of Scripture in which moral directives, ethical commands are given. It can be a whole list of them. And when you first look at that passage, it seems to be just an assortment, just a gathering together of a variety of different ethical commands, but you're not sure that there's anything that binds them all together. But maybe on closer inspection, we will find that there is something binding them together. So what Paul is doing in this passage is he is stepping out of the theological section of Romans. Those first 11 chapters, this is the righteousness of God. A God who makes you righteous without your efforts or labors. 
He gives us mountaintop theology. But now in this section, he's putting practical feet on it and saying, okay, this now is how you are to live out your life as you're living as a follower, a disciple of Jesus. So this paranesis has a variety of different ethical commands and challenges, but it has one central thought that binds it together, and that thought was captured by the translators of the TNIV, which is our Pew Bible. If you notice, right at the beginning of this section, they have given it the heading, Love in action. So that's the thought that binds all of this together. This is love in action. But I want to suggest to you that in the three paragraphs that make up this section, each one has a thought, a key thought, which Paul is presenting to us. And every one of them is a thought that if someone is saying, I want to take the next step out in love in my discipleship journey, Paul says, here's how you do it. So thought number one, if love is the next step, then I do the best for others. If love is the next step, then I do the best for others. Romans chapter 12, I start reading in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. If love is your next step, you will do good to others. Yeah, you notice that this, this section begins with the words, love must be sincere. That word sincere in the original is antipokritas, related to the word hypokritas, from which we get our word hypocrite. Paul is saying that love must be anti-hypocrisy. It must be sincere. In other words, it's not all about words. It's not just about reading the words on the page. It is about actually taking the steps that move us up toward the summit of expressing love. We do what is best for others. He uses the word agape in this passage. But Contrary to grammatical rules, this is not agape as a noun. It's agape as a verb. It is action. It is active. I mean, did you notice the kinds of things that sincere love without hypocrisy calls on us to do for others? Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Share with the Lord's people in need. Practice hospitality and do it all with spiritual fervor even when times are hard. If love is my next step, I do the best for others. Christian writer and actually a Christian activist named Shane Claiborne spent a summer in Calcutta with Mother Teresa. Now, you can imagine that spending some time with someone like Mother Teresa would mean that when you get back home, you're going to have people asking you questions about the experience, about the person. I want to read to you what Claiborne writes. He says, People often ask me what Mother Teresa was like. Did she glow in the dark? Did she have a halo? No, he says. 
She was short, wrinkled, and precious, and maybe even a little bit ornery, like a beautiful, wise old granny. But there is one thing I'll never forget, he says. Her feet were deformed. Each morning during Mass, I would stare at those feet. I wondered if Mother Teresa had leprosy, but I wasn't going to ask, of course. One day, a sister asked us, Have you noticed Mother's feet? We nodded, curious. She said, Her feet are deformed because we get just enough donated shoes for everyone, and Mother does not want anyone to get stuck with the worst pair. So she digs through them and finds the worst pair. Years of wearing bad shoes have deformed her feet. Claiborne says, that is the kind of love that places our neighbor's needs above our own. Challenging love. If I want to take the next step in love in my discipleship journey, it will mean that I do the best for others. Not just dream about it, not just read about it, not just think about others who do it, but actually continue to take one step after another, gasping for the infilling oxygen of the Holy Spirit to empower my journey. So the whole passage, love and action, that's the theme. Three paragraphs, paragraph one. If my next step is love, I do the best for others. But there's a second paragraph. Second paragraph of Romans 12, I would suggest says this, if the next step is love, then I go the second mile. If the next step is love, then I go the second mile. Back to Romans 12, this time starting in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you are superior. If my next step is love, I go the second mile. I don't just stop with what's good enough, with what gets by. I don't stop in the lowlands. I keep pressing toward the summit. I mean, you notice what he said in there, what it means to go the second mile, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those that mourn. Do you know how emotionally demanding that is, how much time that requires? Rejoice with those who rejoice. It's tempting not to do that. It's tempting to live such an egocentric, self-centered life that when someone else rejoices, somehow that diminishes me. I remember listening to a gentleman who had had some struggles in professional life who said this, every time a friend succeeds, he said, I die a little bit inside. Think about that. And think of how contrary that is to that to which Paul calls us. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's not just the second. That may be the third and fourth minds. Mourn with those who mourn. To get drawn into the hurt, to the pain, to the grief of another is emotionally taxing. 
But if I'm to take the next step in love, I go the second mile. He doesn't stop there. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Don't think you're superior. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's the kind of life that only happens in the upper lands, the high lands. It doesn't happen down where common and ordinary life lives and where people are satisfied to be mediocre. It requires living above the level of mediocrity, as Charles Swindoll once said. So we keep taking those steps gasping for the air of the Spirit to fill and empower us, recognizing if love is the next step, I go the second mile. Philip Yancey writes in one place about a 60 Minutes producer named John Marks. John Marks had grown up in an evangelical home, had grown up in Christian faith, but as he got older, he became secular and then became cynical and departed from the faith of his parents, became a 60 Minutes producer. And then he was assigned to do a story, a story on the devastation left behind by Hurricane Katrina. He would later write about that experience and write about his return journey to faith because what he saw after Hurricane Katrina had a profound effect on Mark's. He saw people of faith, he saw Christ followers becoming very active, going the second and third and fourth and fifth mile with others, trying to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice, trying to sustain and help and care for them. And it had a dramatic effect on Marx. In fact, he said, I saw one Baptist church, a local church, that for weeks fed 16,000 people a week. He said, I saw another church, local church, that gave housing to, home to, 700 evacuees. And he said, as the weeks and the months passed, and even as it moved into years, I watched a sisterhood of churches in that part of the country come together and find volunteers and keep coming back time and time and time again to that devastated area to continue the rebuilding process. And he said, I listened to people. I remember one man who said to me, when asked about, why, why are you doing all of this? He said, listen, we joined together. He was talking about people of faith. We joined together whites, blacks, Hispanics, Vietnamese. In fact, he said, even some good old Cajuns. We all joined together, he said. And we're going to do anything we have to to help. He said, I'll let the government worry about that, the media wrestle with all that other stuff because you know what we have to do? Here's what he said to Marx. We've got to cook some rice. I'm too busy for all that other stuff. Too busy going the second mile. It had a profound effect on John Marx. These are Yancey's words, quoting Marx as he reflected back on what happened. Marx said, I would argue that this was a watershed moment in the history of American Christianity. 
Nothing spoke more eloquently to believers and to non-believers who were paying attention than the success of a population of believing volunteers measured against the massive and near total collapse of secular government efforts. The storm laid bare an unmistakable truth. More and more Christians have decided that the only way to reconquer America is through service. The faith no longer travels by word, said Marx. It travels by deed. And I would suggest to you that those deeds are carried out by people who are taking the next step in their discipleship journey, and that next step means I go the second mile. It means I move out of my safety, my living room, my enclave, my sanctuary. I move out into the real world where people are in need. And I do everything I possibly can to meet the needs of the ones I can in the best way I possibly can. So I have to ask you, what's the next step on your discipleship journey? If you say the next step is love, then I'll tell you what Paul says. Paul says if your next step is love, you go the second mile. And so this section of Scripture is calling us to the summit, calling us to the heights of ethical, loving endeavor. Love in action. So, Paul, if love is my next step, what does it mean? It means I do the best for others. It means I go the second mile. But there's a third paragraph in this section of Scripture. And in this third paragraph, Paul says, if love is my next step, I don't respond in kind. I don't respond in kind. Read his words, Romans 12, starting with verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If love is the next step, I don't respond in kind. I've become convinced that one of the most natural realities of the human heart, something we don't have to teach to our little ones, is that we respond in kind. Watch the kids on the playground. Somebody slaps them, they slap back. Somebody hits them, they hit back. And it carries on into adult life. Somebody insults us, we insult them back. Somebody gossips about us, we'll talk about them. Somebody hurts us, we'll hurt them. We respond in kind. You don't have to teach. Story I love telling about my son, our son. Some of you I've shared this with, but for the ones that I have not, I tell it to you. Austin was, I don't know, five years old, maybe something like that. We had a birthday party at the home of, of a friend. 
And at that age, it's a beehive of activity. Kids open the gifts, paper flying. And I noticed that day that what happened was, was something that happened at a lot of parties, and I wanted to pay, sit up and pay attention. And that, that is probably the cheapest gift got the most enjoyment and excitement from the kids. It was amazing. Somebody had bought a little toy gun. It wasn't a normal gun. It was a gun to which you could engage something that looked like a helicopter rotor blade. You could shoot it up into the air, and then it would spin around as it came down, but it would come down unevenly. You couldn't tell where it was going to land. And the whole point of the game was the kids would race around trying to be the first one to grab it because then they would get to shoot it off the next time. Racing all over the yard, out and everywhere they went, having a great time squealing, laughing with this gun shooting into the air. End of the party came. And we were starting to pack up to get out, and one of the kids had that gun cocked and loaded, ran by Austin and shot him right in the face. Boom, bam, hit him right in the face. Well, as you can imagine, that scared him, probably hurt somewhat too, cut him just a little bit, and when he saw blood, he thought he was dying. Wah, you know, and begin to cry. So we packed up. We were leaving anyway and got him all out in the car, got him in the car seat, ran in the other car seat, headed down the road. We're headed down the road, and he's right behind me, and he's at the stage now of kind of the, you know, he's kind of getting it all back together. And he says to me, Daddy, we got to go back. <laughs> go back? Why do we have to go back? He said, because I got to shoot him. <laughs> like, this is your son. <laughs> you got to, why would you shoot him? He said to me, because the Bible says, do to others what they do to you. <laughs> and I thought, oh, Austin, you don't know how many times I've wished that's what the Bible said. Because that's wired into me. Do to others what they do to you. Pay them back in kind. Hollywood has made a mint off of that. Who knows? Maybe billions. They're the popular movies. You've seen them, so have I. You've liked them, so have I. It's where the star of the movie somehow gets done wrong early on in the movie, and the rest of the movie unfolds as the star gets them back. Those who have done him wrong, done her wrong, until by the end of the movie, bam, I've gotten them all back, and I'm like, yes! Then thinking, wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm a minister, for heaven's sakes. I should be cheering this. But it seems to be wired into us. We respond in kind. And then along comes Paul. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge. As far as it is possible, live at peace with everyone. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And it's as though Paul is saying to us, if you're wanting to take the next step in your discipleship journey, then just know this. If the next step is love, you don't respond in kind. I want to read you a story from Decision Magazine written by a writer named Clark Cuthern. Cuthern writes this, Gavin and I were helping my pastor guide 30 lively teens through an all-night lock-in at church. Sound familiar, Doug? All-night lock-in. 
Early in the evening, Gavin challenged me to a game of ping pong in the fellowship hall. Our game quickly heated up. With the score tied and only three points to go before the end of the game, Tracy, an eighth grader, grabbed the ball and kept it from us. My first impulse was irritation. But then a scripture passage that our group had read that afternoon came to mind. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, boast. It is not proud. It is not rude, self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Don't you hate it when those verses come at moments like that? He says, Gavin and I joked with Tracy until she finally tossed the ball back onto the table. We thanked her and finished the game. Hours later, after an evangelistic film, Tracy walked down the aisle with six others to receive Christ as Savior. Later that night, when we gathered for testimonies, Tracy said, I grew up in a family where nobody goes to church. I've learned to get attention by making people mad at me. But earlier this evening, I saw something different. <laughs> when I stole the ball from those guys, she said, pointing at us, they didn't get mad at me. They didn't fight back. I decided right then that I wanted whatever it was that they have. That story is sobering to me, I'll be honest. Sobering because it's as though wired into me is this desire to even the score, to strike back. And then Paul says, wait a minute, Randy. If you're on the discipleship journey and you're wanting to take the next step and that next step is love, then you don't respond in kind. Now, Paul is no starry-eyed idealist. He's a realist. He realizes that every situation will not end up with a young person at the altar. He realizes that every circumstance, every ruptured relationship cannot be repaired. He understands that. And so he says something that has two qualifiers to it. You noticed it as we read it. He says, if it is possible, qualifier number one, as much as it depends on you, qualifier number two, live at peace with everyone. It's not always possible, he says, but if it is, then if the relationship continues to be fractured, don't let it be because of what you do or don't do. In fact, just heap, coping, heap coals of fire on their head. He draws that image from the Proverbs to say, keep the positive actions coming because that positive experience of love may actually shame them to step away from their negative behavior. So what about it? What's your next step in your discipleship journey? If the next step is love, then Paul says, you won't respond in kind. So we've been encouraging you throughout this series to take the next step. Maybe that's a step up in worship, a step down in study and prayer, a step into service, or a step out in love. But whatever it is, I urge you to take that step. And if it is the step of love, then understand, if your next step is the step of love, you do what's best for others. You go the second mile. You don't respond in kind. Now, I'll be honest with you. 
considering those realities is overwhelming to me. It makes me want to gasp for oxygen, the oxygen of the Holy Spirit to empower me. You know, the truth is I love mountain climbing, reading about it, not so much doing. But I realize that I also love reading about love. I love those passages of Scripture that th say things like, love your neighbor, that say, th say things like, be kind to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. Love your enemies. Don't curse them, but bless them. I love those passages because they present an elevated view of life. <clears throat> Pardon me, a life that is winsome and good and gracious. But then I pause and consider what it really means. And I read this passage that says, don't take revenge. Honor others above yourself. Overcome evil with good. And that leaves me staggering. One step at a time, gasping for the wind of the Spirit. But that's where I want to be, on the heights of what God desires for each of us. So I hope you take the next step. The truth is quite simple. It leaves us with just one simple question. And that question is this. Are we going to read about it, or are we going to do it? God of grace, we are so thankful for the call, the elevated, exalted call, the call that Paul issues to us to climb to the mountaintop of ethical expression, the mountaintop of love. We are deeply and keenly aware that we need the oxygen of the Spirit to accomplish this task. Give us the courage. Give us the strength. In the name of Jesus, amen.